regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm so glad you've joined us on the program today. Coming up in a matter of moments, Alan Gottlieb going to join us, the executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation. We're going to be talking about the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case, formerly called uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett. Uh, that has now changed because we have a new uh, commissioner of police in New York, and uh, he is the named party in this lawsuit. But we're talking about the Supreme Court case dealing with New York's right to carry, uh, or rather uh, in New York, the privilege to carry. That is the subject of the lawsuit. Uh, New York's Draconian, discriminatory, and subjective licensing laws. The Supreme Court going to hear oral arguments in the fall in this case. Uh, but before they do that, there is a round of briefings to do. Uh, we uh, covered the plaintiff's brief actually last week on BarryAndArms.com. Uh, but now we've got a host of amicus briefs coming in. Uh, wrote about it this morning at BarryAndArms.com. Uh, 26 Republican attorneys general, 25 Republican senators, 170 Republican members of the House of Representatives, all submitting their own briefs. But the Second Amendment Foundation and its sister organization, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, uh, delivering their amicus briefs to the Supreme Court as well. And again, we're going to talk about that in just a moment with Mr. Alan Gottlieb. But before we do that, do you miss President Trump? A lot of people do, and I'm coming to you with a very special offer that you do not want to miss. Now is your chance to enter to win one of six signed photos of President Trump. These were hand-signed by President Trump, and soon one could be hanging up in your house. When President Trump signed these photos, you want to make sure that all of his supporters have the opportunity to win one, and now is your chance. All you have to do is text CAM to 55404 today for your chance to win a beautiful photo of President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump, hand-signed by President Trump himself, by texting CAM to 55404 right now. You'll also get exclusive double-entry activation for a limited time. Just text CAM. Again, that's C-A-M, to 55404 to have your name entered twice to win a hand-signed Trump photo. Don't want to miss this. Contest in soon. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, so let's uh, begin our conversation with Mr. Alan Gottlieb of the Second Amendment Foundation, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, uh, with maybe the biggest question. How is he feeling right now uh, watching these amicus briefs come in about the uh, prospects of the Supreme Court overturning New York's gun laws? We'll start there. Take a look and a listen. Alan, thanks so much for joining me on the program, sir. It's good talking to you today. It's always great to be with you, Cam, and, and, and your listeners. Thank you. And I got I, I to ask just first off, how are you feeling about uh, the prospects of this case? Uh, now that we're seeing these amicus briefs come in, we're going to talk about uh, the Second Amendment Foundation's brief and the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep Their Arms brief specifically. But, I mean, it seems like, you know, 26 Republican attorney generals, 25 Republican senators, 170 Republican members of Congress, uh, and those are just a few of the briefs that are starting to come in in support of the Second Amendment uh, and in opposition to New York's carry laws. Yeah, I feel I feel really pretty good. I mean, uh, I think there are approximately 46 amicus briefs filed on our side by approximately 75 attorneys representing around 100 individuals and organizational uh, people who have filed. That might be an all-time new Supreme Court record for amicus briefs in any case they've heard. I, I'm going to have to go back and check. Uh, it's really a large number. Uh, now, the other side, of course, you know, uh, I'll get to respond to those briefs and, and file their own. 
And, and of course, when you read our side's brief, it, you know, it's one-sided, of course. Right. And you read it, and, it, and it's like, you know, wow, we're going to have a knockout victory. Uh, but you still have to read the other side's briefs. But, but in all honesty, Cam, I don't think the Supreme Court would have taken this case if they weren't going to rule to overturn the New York, you know, ridiculous carry law. And I'm saying that because the lower court judge ruled in favor of New York. The appeals court ruled unanimously in favor of New York. There's no way the Supreme Court would take it and review that if they didn't think those rulings were wrong. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I mean, I think that makes sense. Um, I know there's been, you know, some concern over the uh, the framing of the question uh, uh, by the Supreme Court. They, they, you know, they, they slightly tweaked the uh, the question that was posed by the plaintiff's attorneys here. But I think you're right. I think the conventional wisdom is that um, we have a really good chance here. And, and, and certainly gun control activists. I mean, I'm very curious to see what uh, what their briefs say as well. But I think it's fair to say that gun control activists are, are already starting to panic. You're already seeing headlines, uh, you know, talking about uh, if if the Supreme Court, uh, you know, uh, does this, that, uh, you know, this could be the end of the gun control movement uh, in essence. Well, I think that, you know, the sky is falling kind of rhetoric from them. It won't be the end of their movement because they're not going to go away, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think we're going to win. And uh, it doesn't concern me that the Supreme Court tweaked the question uh, before them. They do that a lot of times in a lot of cases. It's not so, it's not very unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they wanted to, to narrow what they want, want to talk about to the key part of the central part of the issue. Now, the question we face is going to be, not I mean, I, again. I, I think we're going to win, but the question is going to be what they write in the opinion, how far they take it, in what direction. Will they talk about standard of reviews and, and hold hold second measures to significantly heightened scrutiny? You know, like strict scrutiny uh, for for judges to be able to uh, you know make make rulings at lower court level, or will they expand it out? You know, uh, into into more areas of carry, uh, or or talk more about the rights outside your home with a firearm. So those are the things that are unknown, uh, but we're going to get a victory. The question is, is how big a victory? Uh, and I think we're going to get a pretty decent one. All right. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, you're right here. Now, let's let's talk about the the arguments presented uh, in the briefs from the Second Amendment Foundation and the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, where, uh, full disclosure, I, I serve on the board of directors. Because you know you don't want to 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 replicate the same argument. So 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 what uh, what angle did uh, did the Second Amendment Foundation uh, use to approach this case in their amicus brief? Well, we basically went through the history of people carrying firearms from the colonial days all the way to the present uh, to let the Supreme Court know that it's, that it's not unusual for people to carry firearms for self protection, and that historically courts have upheld the right to carry firearms. In, in the early periods of our republic, and if you want to go to, again to the full, to the text of the, uh, the Second Amendment and the founding fathers, you know, comments and quotes and what they were uh, trying to accomplish and talk about with the right to carry in self-defense, uh, that in fact, you know, uh, the right the right to carry uh, is very mainstream mm-hmm. uh, and taking all the way up to, to to present times, and so it gives the court a really good historical perspective on the fact that what New York has done with their law is, is out of the mainstream. And then with the Citizens Committee brief, uh, it seems like that focuses more on uh, you know, the, the fact that there are, are times where folks uh, need to be able uh, to be their own first responder. Not only do we have the right to do so, 
Uh, but but during times of emergencies, there are acute needs for us to be able to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Yeah, we raise that, and and and, and particularly in the context of uh, uh, you know self defense and and threats to individual people and, and the right to protect oneself and one's one's family and one's home. And we did that because of the fact we know the other side in their makers brief that they can't really argue the law or the constitution. They're going to be emotional and they're going to try to talk about guns are evil. People die because people have guns. The more people carrying guns out on our streets, you know, the more, the more crime we're going to have. And what the committee brief really shows is the fact that we have, you know, not more crime because of this, uh, but the fact is that there's a need in colonial periods, you know, and in the early republic, things weren't so safe. I mean, there was a lot of crime in the streets. Founding fathers understood people needed to be able to defend themselves. And we give, you know, examples uh, all the way through time of people need, needing firearms. And then maybe now more, we need them more today than ever before when you're looking at skyrocketing crime rates and you're looking at, you know, uh, strife in the streets and, and you know, and, and riots uh, and uh, political unrest and distrust of government and defunding of the police. Uh, it's leaving people more and more that they have to be their own first responder. Yeah, absolutely. We just had a story, uh, I believe, on yesterday's Cam and Company uh, about a dad in Houston who uh, his wife wakes him up in the middle of the night, says, honey, I think there's somebody in the backyard. Um, he, he looks out the window and sure enough, there's a stranger uh, peeking in the uh, window of his six month old daughter's bedroom. So he goes and he grabs his gun. He holds the guy at gunpoint. He calls 911. Alan, he had to wait 47 minutes for the Houston police department to arrive after telling them I'm holding this guy at gunpoint. I mean, that's a pretty high priority, but you know, we've got staffing issues around the country. We've seen a lot of cities just simply declare that the police need to pull back uh, in their services. And that does place a, a bigger burden on, uh, on all of us, uh, I believe to, uh, to, to, to take our, not only our right to keep them arms seriously, but also to take our responsibility to protect ourselves and our families more seriously. Yeah, I saw your story on that. It was it was excellent, and I wish it almost happened like a week earlier if we could have included it <laughs> right? in the Citizens Committee of the Right to Keep Our Arms Brief. Because those are the kinds of things we pointed out. Uh, you know, from we, we pointed things out from the early days, and a good example was when Ben Franklin was in Europe. Uh, people thought he was trying to negotiate, you know, the stamp tax against the United States. So they went and attacked his wife while he was gone, and she had to call people with firearms to come to protect her yep. while he was out of the country all the way up to modern things like the example you gave, which we put in the, in the briefs as well, showing the fact that, you know, uh, citizens basically are their first responders and police don't get there in time. And when they do, it's usually to fill out paperwork. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, as, as far as uh, uh, stuff that I wish had come out just a little bit earlier, there's a study that just came out from the uh, University, I believe it's uh, Loyola University, Chicago. And they looked at uh, the gun licensing laws in Illinois uh, this does not directly correlate to New York because Illinois is a shall-issue state. New York is a may-issue state. But I was fascinated by this, Alan. They found that of all of the arrests and convictions in the state of Illinois for every firearm-related offense over the last decade, 72% were simply for possessing a firearm without a license. So three-quarters yeah. of all of these you know, supposed, quote-unquote, gun crimes are mere possessory offenses. You're carrying a gun without a license, a license that uh, you may not have been able to obtain in uh, Illinois 10 years ago. Uh, and I would imagine that the same thing is true in New York State as well, that rather than stopping violent criminals, these laws are preventing average Americans from being able to exercise their constitutional rights. 
Yeah, I'm glad you pointed out that in Illinois, because I just want to toot our own horn a little bit. The reason why Illinois is a shallow issue state now, mm-hmm. McCary, is the second member lawsuit in Moore versus Madigan that basically knocked out the ban on carry in the state of Illinois and forced them to put in the shallow issue. And also the case for the U.S. Supreme Court that we're talking about could not have been filed uh, if it weren't for the fact that Second Amendment Foundation also in the state of Illinois won McDonald versus Chicago at the U.S. Supreme Court where they incorporated the Second Amendment through the 14th Amendment, making it applicable to all states and cities, which then allows the suit the Supreme Court against New York State. So uh, I don't like to hoop our horn because the Second Amendment Foundation basically built the founding building blocks for the foundation to be able to challenge these laws and win. Absolutely. Uh, and listen, it's one of the reasons why we love talking with you uh, and we appreciate all of the work that the Second Amendment Foundation does, uh, along with the uh, sister organization, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Uh, folks can read this amicus brief, by the way, actually uh, both the SAF and the CCRKBA brief uh, and some other ones. I uh, believe that uh, I think they're all up there at the Supreme Court's website. We'll uh, provide the link for you uh, in the uh, uh, text of the story. But Alan Gottlieb, as always, my friend, thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I know we'll be in uh, close communication here between now and oral argument time in the Supreme Court. Yes, we will. Thank you, Cam. All right. Talk to you soon. Alan Gottlieb joins from the Second Amendment Foundation here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Appreciate Mr. Gottlieb joining us on the program and look forward to having him back again very soon. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Jackson, Mississippi. There's a headline. It's a disgrace. Father of homicide victim blames judges for not locking up his daughter's alleged killer. Spurgeon Bannard is this uh, gentleman's name. He said he was planning from uh, planning for his oldest daughter to take over the family business uh, and uh, recently ended up having to plan for her funeral. Kaylin Barnyard was uh, killed, or excuse me, uh, Kaylin Banyard was killed June the 30th. And her dad says she was going to graduate from Heinz Community College with an early child care degree. We were grooming her to take over the family business once my wife stepped away. They opened the uh, Foundation First Development Center about uh, six or seven years ago. The uh, daycare center, lifelong dream for the family. Uh, And again, they were hoping that uh, their daughter could take over. But uh, instead, she was shot and killed. And now her parents are upset because her alleged shooter, Terrence Young, was out on bond in connection with multiple felony charges when the shooting took place. He said, quote, to see, the dad said, uh, quote, to see his criminal record being read out in court, it is a failure with the judges in Hines County. Banyard said if the judges had done their jobs, he wouldn't have been able to murder my daughter. Just like the governor said, part of Jackson's problem is the judges. Criminals commit acts and get bonds, and they're out on bond, still committing crimes. Kaylin's mother, Katrina, said the day that Kaylin was murdered, I went to her house. As we sat there talking, she mentioned those charges and said, Mama, I don't know what JPD's doing. She said, I gave everything on him, his address, his mom's name, everywhere he could possibly be, and they've not picked him up. Yeah, so this wasn't some random circumstance. Uh, Authorities believe that Banyard was targeted by a guy who should have been behind bars, but instead was let loose. And uh, Live 5 News in Jackson, Mississippi, says of the 32 people arrested for murder this year, at least 13 of them are repeat offenders. Six of those offenders were out on bond when they were arrested again. Three were on probation or supervised release, and three others had wrapped up their sentences. Court records for uh, another juvenile, 
defendant, not available uh, on the electronic court's website. But again, you've got a, a, a preponderance of murder suspects in Jackson, Mississippi, well-known to authorities, many of them, again, out on bond at the time that they are accused of killing somebody. And yet again, what do we hear from uh, Democrats in Jackson, Mississippi? Oh, we got to get rid of open carry. That's what the uh, mayor of Jackson said last year. Tried to ban open carry, as a matter of fact, despite uh, clear state law saying that he couldn't do so. Democrats would rather blame the guns than the problems in the criminal justice system, which are readily apparent to those of us uh, who cover this on a uh, regular basis. And finally, well, not finally, we've still got our uh, good deed of the day, but our armed citizen story of the day from uh, Houston, Texas, where a uh, gentleman ended up in a shootout with car thieves uh, after he saw them breaking into some vehicles. Uh, ABC 13 with the uh, story. It happened uh, over the weekend. Three guys breaking into a car in the neighborhood. Resident said he got into his truck and confronted them. Resident, by the way, did not want to be identified. Said, I started honking to tell them I know they're breaking into that car. And at that point, they turned back and I did the same thing to light up the street. Meaning, you know, put his headlights on. About halfway down the street, he says they pull out guns and they start shooting. Now, another resident in the area had also seen the uh, trio of guys breaking into the car. And he had called 911 before the first shots were fired. The uh, resident said he pulled out his own gun and started shooting back at the uh, armed car thieves. He said, they chased me all the way down the street to the walking trail. He said, I can't believe all three of these kids had guns. Uh, apparently, nobody was hit in the exchange of uh, gunshots. So at least one vehicle uh, was damaged. No word on a description of the suspects involved. So far, no arrests have been made. Uh, but again, with crime on the rise in Houston, Texas, and the Democrats in control of that city, uh, you know, laying the blame on legal gun owners, and the rise in gun sales, stories like this are going to become more common as uh, residents choose to exercise their segment rights to protect themselves. We've actually covered, I think that's the third armed citizen story in Houston, Texas, in the past three weeks. Uh, and those, again, are just the stories that are actually making the local news. All right, finally today, our uh, good deed of the day, a uh, off-duty officer from Stockton, California, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save two people from a car that had crashed and uh, burst into flames. That's the officer, Mark Afanasov, I believe is how you pronounce it. Apologies, officer, if I'm uh, butchering your last name. Uh, he and his wife were actually in their car. They were just driving down the road in Rancho Cordova, California, when they saw this crash. Uh, Avanasov said one of the cars involved immediately caught fire, so he stopped what he was doing and uh, rushed over to uh, to save lives. He said, quote, I realized I had to go there and help because there was nobody else around. I've never seen anything like it. I've never been a part of anything like that. But the only thing I could think of was there are people in that car. I've got to get them out. I can't let them burn in that car. So apparently uh, the man involved in the crash was able to get out on his own. Uh, Avanasov was able to help uh, a, a female passenger escape the uh, burning vehicle. He said, I feel like God put us in that position for a specific reason. This is just something that's a part of me to help somebody out, especially something like this when I'm the only one there. says he doesn't consider himself a hero. He said, I think every officer, firefighter, paramedic I know would have done the same thing I did given the circumstances. And maybe that's true. But uh, it was him 
in those circumstances. And so in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Mark Afanasov from Stockton, California, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. And as always, want to thank you for being a part of the program today. Don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the uh, day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Also, don't forget to, uh, if you would like, we certainly do appreciate it, you can become a VIP subscriber at Barry and Arms. All you have to do, go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS. You'll get 25% off of your VIP membership. You will also get exclusive analysis, commentary. I wrote a, a piece on Tuesday that I would encourage you to uh, check out about a new study showing that these uh, restrictive gun licensing laws, like the ones being challenged in New York State, actually do more harm than good. Uh, and uh, that's the type of stuff that you'll get when you sign up and become a VIP member. You'll also will be supporting programs like this one. So, again, we really do appreciate your support. We'll see you back here tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>